Are you in a position where you're defined by your age and that's limiting you to pursue a dream or goal you want to accomplish? The More Than Your Age podcast is about having conversations with women who fully live their lives without being dictated or defined by their age. This is a space to encourage women who feel blocked to pursue a dream or goal based on their life circumstances. Welcome to the More Than Your Age podcast. I am your host, Erica Pazbard. Let's start living life fully and become more than your age. As a child, my dream was to become a professional actress. As I approached college, I decided that acting for me was more of a hobby I wanted to pursue. At the time, I thought that if I wanted to pursue the career full-time, in my late teenage years to early 20s was the time to do it. And since I decided to forgo that dream, I thought, well, the time has passed and I won't have the opportunity to chase this dream once I'm older. Nobody starts an acting career later in life. So I stopped chasing that childhood dream and pursued other things. Well, my guest today also had that same dream and a similar mindset in college. Instead of pushing that dream aside, she decided to pursue a professional acting career at an unexpected age and season in life. Better yet, she decided to pursue it in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. Sarah Bird has an extremely encouraging story of new beginnings and chasing after those childhood dreams to pursue a passion years in the making. Take a seat and enjoy the conversation. Well, today we have Sarah Bird. Sarah Bird, thank you so much for joining the More Than Your Age podcast. I have been looking forward to this conversation for a while. So welcome. Glad to have you here. Oh, so psyched to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I am humbled and honored. Absolutely. I love that we, um, for the audience or the listeners who don't know, Sarah and I don't really know each other super well. We met, <laughs> what, just like a little over a month ago, I think, yeah. at um our beauty counter, we're both beauty counter advocates. That's not what we're here to talk about, but we can talk to you about it later. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but we met about a little over a month ago, and I heard Sarah's story, and the second that I listened to her story, hearing about what she does, when she did it, I immediately knew, oh, this is someone that has to be on this podcast because you just embody exactly what this podcast is all about. So I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join me today and share a little bit about yourself. So Sarah, uh, if you would do me a favor, and before we kind of hear your background, um, I'd love for you just to share what is your profession right now and you wouldn't mind telling us how long you've been doing it professionally professionally um i love that so i am a professional actor voiceover artist and beauty counter consultant (laughs) that is my that is my world and i am a mother of two incredible children and a wife to a phenomenal husband and a citizen of the earth that's who i am I have been (laughs) acting all of my life. I have just recently started getting paid to do it, though. So (laughs) that is uh, the switch that I made within the past few years that um, is the story that I think struck, struck a chord with you. And that's the decision that I made to really start 
follow in my gut and my heart and do what I really feel drawn to do every day. You mentioned that you've been acting your whole life. How did you get involved in acting? It's funny. I think when you talk to any artist, they they might have a story or a moment in time that they could put a finger on, but in reality, they've probably been doing it in utero, you know, but they didn't have a name for it. You know, I was probably singing and performing and playing with toys and telling stories all my life. But I could remember when I was in elementary school, being in the audience at my high school, watching a performance of Annie. And hopefully everybody knows Annie, but if you don't, it's a, it's a show, a musical production where there are a lot of young kids in the performance. So for this particular production, the high school had actually sourced out a bunch of younger kids to be in the production with them. And that was remarkable to me because I saw people who could have been my peers, I guess, up on the stage. And at the end of the production, everyone was clapping, you know, and on their feet. And I, for some reason, was bawling. I was in tears. It has a happy ending. So <laughs> my my mom's looking at me going, why are you crying? It's a happy ending. I think she thought that I didn't understand it. But I remember very strongly looking at her and whether or not I said it to her or articulated it accurately, I knew I was not in the right place, the right location in that theater. I was not supposed to be sitting in the seats. I was supposed to be up on the stage. And seeing all of the kids on the stage, I was like, see, I, I could have been up there with all the other little kids. And it felt wrong that I was in the audience and not on the stage. Like I had this visceral pull of, nope, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be there. And that's, I think, the earliest memory I have of just knowing that's me. That's what I'm made for. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. Did you, so you had this feeling of like, I know this is where I'm supposed to be, what I'm made to do. At that point, did yeah. you say, hey, mom, uh, enroll me into acting classes or I want to audition? What were the next steps for you? <laughs> um, you know, we had some children's theaters around us and I'm, I'm sure yeah, we did like summer workshops and different things. And I was always a dancer. I, I did ballet ever since I was a, a little child. And then I started auditioning at the community theater um, at the community colleges. So they would always have open auditions when they were you know, younger kids. Um, but I've always been this tall, I'm <laughs> five foot 10, I'm pretty tall. Mm -hmm. um, so it didn't always go my way. So I definitely the first audition, I went out and I sung my heart out uh, and I, I didn't get cast. They, they thought I was a teenager and I was nine. Uh, but they scooped my little brother up from the audience and they cast him right then and there. So it's, you know, it doesn't always go the way. That's something about being an actor is you have to be ready for a lot of, it didn't go the way I had hoped it would go. But my, my brother had his first foray into acting in Gypsy and I did not. And that's okay. I kept with it. But yeah, I would, I would seek out every opportunity I could, whether it was in the schools or in the community and um, as soon as I got into high school yeah I was in every show every play every opportunity college same thing and um, we just kept going 
Did you have intentions of going to college? Like, did you study theater performance or did you decide I want a separate route? I'm done. Where, where were you at there at that point? I would have loved to, um, I believe, you know, (laughs) what's the best way to say this? Um, I don't think it was the familial expectation that the arts were a profitable and secure future plan. I think it was great as something to pursue for, um, you know, it was encouraged as I'm glad it makes you happy, like, great, go for it. But when it came to, we want to make sure that everybody's got a secure job and future and a way to support themselves. I, I think that was the focus is to make sure everybody had that as the plan for college. So that's what I pursued. Um, I went to a liberal arts college. I went to BU, go Terriers. And BU had some incredible programs that were just, you know, um, for actors and people who were creative and they wanted to try out. And so I did all of them. I did all of the the musical theater. I did the stage theater. I did the theater for engineers. I did the Shakespeare society. I did a theater arts minor and I got my responsible psychology degree for my major. And it was, it was something I was really interested in. Um, definitely. And I have found a lot of interest and curiosity and meaning in my career um, 15 years after it. It's been very fascinating. I have found myself, you know, I was looking at a couple of other schools before I went to BU and they were, they were promising schools. You know, they were, they were great. They were interesting. Like, um, you know, there's no reason not to say it. I was looking at Muhlenberg in Pennsylvania. I was looking at Brandeis, up here, um, just outside of Boston too. And, uh, Rutgers and cause I'm from Jersey and a couple of, of other places. And I, I enjoyed many of them and many of the things they had to offer. But one thing that I found that was limiting for me is that if I wasn't a theater major, if that wasn't my main program, there wasn't a guarantee that I was going to be able to do theater. So part of the, the joy of looking at BU was that you didn't have to be a theater major to immerse yourself in theater. And so that's exactly what I did is I, I picked a college that would let me completely immerse myself in theater, regardless of what path my studies took. Um, I even studied abroad with my theater work. And my junior year, I went and studied at Lambda, the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts. And I did a, a second semester there, um, interning with my psychology degree, but doing it with um, a lens towards drama therapy. And so I worked with a homeless theater company that was a really cool. And we focused on um, expressive arts therapy in the way that theater could be really supportive um, through education on applied psychology. It was really, really transformative and pretty darn awesome. So Did I go to school for theater formally? No, I don't have a degree in theater. Did I study a ton of theater with some incredible institutions? Yes, I am. I uh, even got a chance to perform at Imperial College and do a number of shows in England. 
So that was really phenomenal as well. So um, the two shows that I did when I was in England at Imperial College, I performed with a full-on British accent. So I had a really great chance to um, take really advantage of everything offered to me through college, even though I didn't formally study theater. Well, I'm glad that although you did not study theater, you know, per se in college, that you still had many opportunities to perform and act. So that's really great. So because, you know, you said the expectation was to try to find a career where you could really, you know, make make a living from that. Was that challenging for you or were you still okay with it because you were able to pursue acting, but just more as a, an extracurricular activity? I think I internalized, I started creating this identity around myself that um, acting is not something that you do. Like that's not, that's not something for me. It, I'll just continue to be a community theater actor and that's my identity right? Like I'll, I will be a uh, school social worker, you know, I'll go and I'll be a drama therapist. I'll be somebody who uses expressive arts therapy in the helping field. And that's what I'll, I'll do with my, myself because it felt selfish to be an actor. It felt selfish to be somebody working in the arts. Um, all these things I just started adopting in my mind or picking up from different places. Um, and also, you know, it, it wasn't going to work for a family. You know, I wasn't going to uh, find a partner who was going to be on board for that. Or if I did, we would both be destitute and poor and, you know, living homeless somewhere. It would be awful. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I started working in school systems as a social worker and a counselor. And simultaneously, I got my a clinical license as a drama therapist, because that's actually a thing you can do. It's not just like a made up thing. We have expressive <laughs> arts therapists. And, um, and that was a way I stayed connected to it. And I, I did that for many years. And then I found as I was going through that, I, I thought that there would be, because I enjoy psychology and I enjoy social work and I enjoy doing it with kids in schools, middle schools in, in particular, it's a really great age. I thought that that blend of two things I enjoyed would be really satisfying. And the more I did it, the more I was like, no, I really just want to be on a stage. I, I don't like having to add the psychology to it. I kind of like them both separately. It's, it's like, I really like apples and I really like pie, but I really don't like cooked apples. Like fruit has no business being baked. What is up with that? Like, <laughs> I no. Um, and it's, it, there's nothing wrong with me. I know everybody loves apple pie. I do not. Like <laughs> apple pie is not my thing. Pumpkin pie is fantastic. Apple pie is gross. I really like apples fresh and I really like pie to be something else. So I, I think it took me many, many years to be okay with the fact that I don't like apple pie. And so I, I really don't enjoy the, the blend of the two as much as I enjoy them separately. And that's when I started, you know, throwing myself back into more community theater and then just allowing myself to do my, my social work and my school counseling work separately. And that became more satisfying. But the more and more I did that, the more and more I'm like, I, I really, really, really wake up with this ache in my being every single day that says I, I am made for this. I, I am good at 
social work and school systems. And I, I moved up, you know, in that career and I have been in it for over 15 years. And I, when I put my mind to something and I train in it and I work hard in it, I am good at it. And yet that desire that the six-year-old me felt in the seats, however young I was, doesn't go away. Like I don't belong here. I belong there. And that that doesn't uh, go away after, you know, having kids and getting married and buying a house. And then when you start raising children and telling them, you can do anything you want to do, you can be anybody you want to be, there's this sneaky feeling of hypocrisy that seeps in when you realize, oh, but I'm not doing that. I'm not being who I want to be, doing what I want to do. And I'm telling my child that they can, and they can sniff out that BS faster than anything. So mm-hmm. I am, I better start living what I'm saying. Otherwise, I'm not actually parenting the way that I want to be parenting. So that started to really hit me. And I started to audition for real things, you know, and I, big things, consequential things, you know, not just um, the fun holiday show at the community theater, but I started to audition for really big swinging, you know, meaningful professional performances. And then I started getting uh, paid for my work. And that's when I was like, oh my gosh, I'm legit. And I, I remember going to a performance in DC a couple of years before the pandemic and watching the people on the stage and being struck by, huh, I could do that. Like, not just I'm an actor, I could be on the stage, but the caliber of what they were doing I could match or exceed. And I said, holy cow, there's no longer, uh, I'm, I'm no longer holding these people up on a, on a podium above me. Like I, I've reached the point in my life where I've been working and training and practicing so hard that, yeah, I, I belong there, not just because it's how I was made, but I belong there now because it's, I've done the work and it's time to do it. So that plus COVID created this, you know, seismic shift where I had always wanted to, and I thought, okay, I'll make a change eventually. (laughs) I'll make a shift eventually when, you know, everything lines up perfectly. And you always hear these stories about how, oh, this big thing happened in my life and it just was meant to be and la, 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 all those stories about the, you see on documentaries or YouTube videos about seven years ago, my life changed when fill in the blank. Well, when COVID happened and I was the mental health director sitting in my little room, this room, and um, looking at my computer and trying to uh, alert the the school system in the world of, I know we're all worried about physical germs, but we need to be also worried about the mental health and the trauma and the chronic stress. And we're going to have a real problem with isolation and we're going to have a real problem with depression and just seeing the slow moving pandemic of mental health coming at us and feeling 
immediately responsible for the mental health and well-being of all of our educators and all of our parents and caregivers and students, it was like getting the wind knocked out of you for three years, I guess you could say, Mm -hmm. while having um, a less than a one-year-old at home and a kindergartner at home who were all of a sudden out of daycare and out of kindergarten. And you were doing all that home living, coexisting that we all lived with during the beginning of the quarantine. It was a crucible and everything was on fire all at once. And it burned down to what was just the most pertinent. What's the most important, like at the core of you, what really matters and what doesn't matter. And after existing like that, for longer than you think that you have any capacity to exist at that level. I felt at the core of me that this was that moment for me, for my family, for my kids, that when we got out of it, I needed to, you know, people were dying everywhere. Like it was literally life and death. And I was no longer going to wake up anymore and continue to do that work with the rest of my life. I, I was going to wake up and do the work that continues to pull at my heartstrings in, in a life-giving way and has ever since I was a kid. And I was going to show my kids every day what it's like to get up and live that kind of a life as opposed to the kind of life that I had been living the past few years. And granted, it's, it's COVID, so it was much more extreme, but that that was that moment for me. So you, you know, like you mentioned, there's the, the whole pandemic that affected everybody mentally and health-wise and whatnot, and that gave you the inspiration and to, to go and pursue this passion, this, this dream of yours that you've always had and this talent that you've, you've always had as well. And, you know, in the middle of this too is, you know, you're in your, you started what, this is your mid thirties or so, and you are married and you have two young kids. How, like what fears or, or what distractions did you have that maybe blocked you from pursuing things? Or what did you have to tell yourself to mm-hmm. ignore those uh, negative thoughts? Oh, I love this. I am currently 39 and a half years old. I'm going to be 40 um, very soon. My parents are like, what are you going to do for your 40th birthday? And I was like, I don't know, get a, an agent for LA or something. Um, that'd be great. So if there's any agent listening who would like to sign me, I'm available. Um, I, I am in the midst of it. So this is actually, I'm so glad you asked that question. All the fears, all the concerns, all the worries, like that's the one thing that I am hopeful to be incredibly open and honest about is I am in the midst of the switch. You know how whenever you hear people talk about like, oh, I lost everything and then I had a chance to build it up again. Or whenever you're going to make the jump, make sure you burn all the bridges because it's the only way you go. And I'm like, I can't burn the bridges, y'all. There are three people who live and breathe with me. Like those aren't bridges. (laughs) You don't burn the boats 
when they're human beings, you love and adore, you know, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. those are things I'd very much like to be attached to and to take with me, you know, burning the boats works when, when you're single. And when you, you have a life that has crashed and burned behind you. But when you are a mother, and when you are a wife, and when you own property, <laughs> like, that's, that's not the same. And it's a, it's such a fascinating position to be in. So some things move incredibly slowly and others move incredibly fast. And I never know which one is going to go at which speed. And I'm, what I'm currently doing is striving to be very transparent with people about where I am in the process, um, what it has been like, because that's one thing that I, I find very difficult about like self-help books or books that talk about their journey is because they usually go from step one to 50 and they don't tell you about anything between two and 49. They'll be like, <laughs> oh yes, I had this very difficult moment. I broke down at work. I got fired. Next thing you know, I'm on a plane to Bali and I'm like, wait, what happened in between there? Like something had to happen. Um, and so I'm in that in between, like between the bathroom floor and Bali. And I am, for example, you know, little things like, okay, if I want to be on Broadway, if I want to be in Hollywood, there are some things that very logistically need to happen. I need to be a member of Actors' Equity. I need to be a member of SAG-AFTRA. Those are the unions. If you're going to be a part of those big acting worlds, you have to be a part of those unions. It's just the way it goes. So one of the small things I did was started setting those, those goals, those guideposts and said, I've got to do it. Last year, I became a part of equity and that was fantastic. And so now I've been saying to myself, great, one union down, next one to go. And that starts to open up new worlds for you. I've been connecting with, and now I have a manager in LA and that's a fantastic step. I've gotten, um, you know, connected with acting mentors in LA who I've done some showcases with. I've also been increasing my, my commercial presence on TV to the point where people in, you know, the New England region will send me text messages and say, I was watching the Red Sox and I just saw you on the commercial. I'm going, that's awesome. Someone else was like, I was just watching Jeopardy and I saw you in the commercial. Like, that's great. So it's those little things that are like, great, you know, a year ago, nobody would have seen me on TV. Now people are seeing me on TV. That's pretty darn awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and these steps are steps that I'm taking in that direction. You know, who knows, maybe in a year from now, I'll have a book that says, and now I'm on a plane to Bali or to LA <laughs> because they're flying me out there for the next Avatar movie or something. I don't know. But I have been, you know, documenting and journaling and doing video journals and, and trying to be honest with people about, I am filling my days with the acting and the training. And as some people would say, putting in the miles, right? Like you don't just jump up and run a marathon. You get up every day and you run two miles or five miles or seven miles, or you do some speed work, Right. And that's, that's what I'm doing now. This is now my job. Auditioning is now my job. You know, training is now my job. 
I just bought tap shoes. I, I don't know how to tap, but if I ever want to be on stage with Hugh Jackman in The Music Man, I better learn how to tap. And I just found an adult tap class down the road. So like, okay, I'm going to be learning how to tap. These, this is the work you do if you're actually serious about this. You don't just sit around and wait for James Cameron to give you a call. He's never going to give you a call. But you get yourself in the room mm-hmm. and you're serious about it and you do it every day. And when I started talking about this with my husband, he is perfectly fit to me. He's an educator. And his response is always, I, I want you to be happy. You know, I don't want you to be living a life where you're doing work or a job that makes you miserable because then that makes all of us miserable. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. so yes, if it's leaning into professional acting 24 seven, that's great. Um, and I'm here for it. And if you find that you're not getting a lot of jobs, like, can we just make sure that you've got like a barista thing or something going on? So you've got <laughs> some money and, you know, he's like, as long as there's, there's some kind of a financial exchange, that's great. And acting is a gig economy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so those are fears. You know, you ask about fears, those are fears. Mm-hmm. You know, I found, I used to, I think I told you this before, I did acting in high school and I never wanted to pursue it professionally. Um, but I remember just like people that I knew or um, even my own mindset at the time just thought, oh, well, if I'm not going to do it in college or I'm not going to pursue it when I'm in my early 20s, then that's it for me. Like I, I missed the boat. And I've also mm-hmm. known other people who have gone out to L.A. and tried it for a couple of years. And and maybe, you know, that was OK. Maybe it isn't for you. Um, but they said, well, now, you know, now I'm older, I'm, I'm young now and or, you know, I was young at the time. And so that was my opportunity. And I think what's just so inspiring about you is that you just said you're, you bought tap shoes to take tap lessons. <laughs> you want to get on Broadway and you, you know, you want, you want to be in movies and like you're, you're going after it and you're trying these things. And I think that's huge. And one thing I remember you telling me when we met um, was that it's not just, you know, you definitely have to have the skill, but it's also how you treat other people. And I'd love you to, for if you remember the story of when you had that audition or you had that uh, commercial where you you went in for a day one, you're only supposed to be there day one. Um, can you just share that? Because I think it was just yeah. a nice a nice way to talk about the business and how you treat people. Yeah. Oh, thanks for the reminder. Yeah, one of my mentors um, always says it's it's one thing to be hired for a job. It's the the biggest measure of your skill as a working actor is to be rehired for a job. It's when you go in and you do the work and you do the job and you have been professional, you've been good at the work, but you've also treated everybody in a way that's been memorable and kind and efficient and professional that they invite you back, whether it's for that job or for something else in the future, right? That your name is one that is memorable in a positive way. And I had never really thought about that, right? You're always so worried about booking the gig, you know, getting the job, getting the first job that you sort of don't think about anything after that fact. And a couple months ago, 
I was auditioning for one one shoot out of a series of maybe three for a, a local company. And I came in on the first day, you know, I, I did my, my scenes, my shots. And then, um, you know, mid afternoon, I, I head home. Everybody was lovely. It was a good fun time, family friendly company. And, and I had home at the end of the day though, I get a phone call from the producer and she asks me if I still had, you know, another day that week open. And I had said, sure yeah, is everything okay? And and she said, yep, yep. Just, you know, looking to see if you're free on Thursday to come in. I said, yeah, no problem. So I came in on Thursday and, you know, everybody was incredibly professional. Nobody said anything about why I was there or what had happened in the interim. But as I get the the shot list, I can see that what had been a child and father shot list had been changed and altered to now be child and mother. So whomever they had planned to shoot with as the father, um, they had made a choice with the client and the producer to swap out and have me come back in. And it was a last minute change. And there must have been something about how the shooting went on the second day or the end of the first day that wasn't to the liking. And, you know, we never know what or how, and this is what I'm grateful for too, is nobody ever said anything to me. So I'm never going to know. And that's great. Um, But what I can say is that as I walked into hair and makeup, and as I walked around to see the director and the, you know, director of photography, everybody who saw me said, Sarah's back. It's Sarah. (laughs) I'm like, hi, everybody. What's going on? And they were like, all we can say is we are so happy to see you here today. And I went, oh my gosh, okay, great. Um, and you quickly realize, wow, I am very grateful that I conducted myself in a way on that first day that left a positive impression, not just with the producer, but with hair, with makeup, with the PAs, with the DP, with the director, with everybody, because they all remembered me. They were all very happy that I was back on the third day and the client even saw me afterwards and said that that was great. That was lovely. Thank you. It's those moments that you realize you have no idea if you're talking to somebody who is going to give you your next job or not. And that's so much about this. I mean, half of that shoot was just my hands. Like if we're really being (laughs) honest, we're really being honest. I didn't have any lines. I didn't have anything that was acting. I literally was a hand model for most of that, if we're going to be real. And I was just holding their product. But it was about how I spent every other moment and how I was listening to the directions and how I was making sure that their product got, you know, the portrayal that they wanted it to have. So it's really not about if you're a good actor half the time. It's about if you're a good human, right? Yeah. And that's just a good life lesson in general of how you're, you're, you treat other people, no matter who they are and how mm-hmm. high or low they are on the totem pole is mm-hmm. it's no matter what, treat them with respect. And I think that's just yeah. a good lesson in general. And I'm glad that it panned out well for you <laughs> in that, in that situation. Um, I just have a few more questions for you before we head out. I want to know, um, just in your professional years of acting, what have been some of your most proud moments um, or shows that you have done or gigs you've booked? Um, if you just like think back on 
it's only been just a couple of years or a few years. So that's also really impressive. I just think that's great. So one of the stage productions was something called The Dark Room, and it was in Boston with a professional theater company called um, The Bridge Repertory. And it was a world premiere of a play by the playwright George Brandt. And if you are somebody who's a theater savant, you would know George Brandt because he's written a number of things. And he came to the production. He was excited with how we workshopped it um, and how we put up the production. It was all women. It was, I would say, I was proud of it, not not particularly because of of my performance. I was actually pregnant when we were in it. Um, so my, wow. my son, my son was the only male in the performance and he was in utero, but, um, <laughs> I was very proud of how the group worked together and how we co-created so many elements of it. And there are actually movement elements. Um, Shura Barishnikov was the, the, one of the choreographers on it. And there was this moment where Jenna Pollock was the primary dancer and she was up in a window doing this really cool creative moment. And we were trying to articulate like this concept um, of emotion where a story was moving forward and moving backwards and getting stuck in time. And as a group, um, Olivia Scanlon was the, well, Olivia D'Ambrosio, premier maiden name, was the artistic director. And she was using the whole group to help conceive of this moment, which I also was very grateful for. Um, she was a fantastic director for it. And we had this moment where I said, it's almost like, you know, when your computer glitches and, or your TV glitches and it gets pixelated and something s- slides and stops and the picture gets broken up and you see those little rectangular cubes and it gets blurred and such. And from that comment came a translation through the choreographer who said, I get it. She could, she could take that picture that I just shared. She took it and translated it into movement words and language. And she said to Jenna, think of infinite variations in pictures and movements from point A to point B and just roll it back and forth from point A to point B, but in infinite, infinite variations. And then Jenna said, got it and understood that movement language. And next thing you know, Jenna looks like a physical manifestation of a glitch on a TV. Oh, wow. (laughs) And there's this like this phenomenal moment of art being created between people in a space that's like, who knows if anybody ever got that or fully saw it, but it was just this beautiful moment of co-creation between people in a space that that's the magic of creating storytelling and writing uh, where there's no, you know, ego, but I'll always remember that. Like I didn't have the, the movement vocabulary, but I could sort of pass the ball to the next person and then the next person could pass the ball. And we all, and you know, we didn't have the body vocabulary, but Jenna did and she took it and she ran with it and we all just watched it in awe and it unfolded. And it, to me, is still my favorite part of that play. I think that's really telling about you as well, that 
you know, the question was, what are you most proud of professionally? And I was honestly expecting a, well, I got to perform in Hamlet or I got to perform <laughs> and we toured this, this and this, but that you cho- your answer was something where you creatively worked with a group of other people, other women and came up with a beautiful product. So I think that that's um, really special that and selfless of you to, mm-hmm. to recognize that. So thank you for sharing that one. I really appreciate that. Um, we just have time for one more. And so because you've, you've really have been so encouraging throughout this entire conversation. So I really appreciate it. Um, I would love for you to just share a piece of advice um, that you would give someone who wants to pursue acting full time or they want to just pursue something and they feel limited based on either their age or their life circumstance or they feel like it's too late um, or I can't do it. What, what would you say to that person? give me a call. (laughs) (laughs) I'll Um, be your therapist. (laughs) No, (laughs) I mean, there's, there's so many good pieces of advice I've heard from other people, but I'm also somebody who like my love language is words of affirmation. So I feel like I need to continually hear them over and over and over again to stay on the path. Right. So there's, there's this phrase from um, who is it? Dean Graziosi says, like, can you imagine if you, when you die and you go to heaven and, you know, let's pretend God's got his own smartphone and he pulls up a picture of what he had designed or she, or whatever, you know, has designed you to be and what your life could have been, was supposed to be, was designed to be if you just did it if you just stepped over the fear if you just stepped into and followed your gut like every time you got that gut feeling that instinctive feeling and you just did it you stopped doubting yourself and getting in your way but you actually followed that that impulse and he's got like the accord the the path of what it was supposed to be but you kept getting in your way and then you actually saw it and you went damn that's what i was supposed to that's amazing and I slept on myself, like, I knew it. I knew I was supposed to. And when when Dean says that, I'm always like, oh, hell no, I am not. I am not going to be somebody who, who looks at a phone that's like, do you see how crazy cool your life could have been? I'm gonna get up there and I'm gonna be like, nope. I know how crazy cool it could could have been because I did all the things. I did all the things and <laughs> I probably one-upped whatever you thought your plan was because I said yes to all the things. I did them all. I didn't get in my way. I didn't sleep on myself because I had, what is it that Mary Oliver says, right? That's the other one. What are you going to do with this one wild and precious life that you have? That's the other one that that sticks with me. And it's like, no, why would you, why would you not? You know, I, I followed all the rules growing up, followed all the rules, good, good two shoes, like, you know, listen to what everybody said and that's good for keeping you safe. And now it's like, okay, I'm 40. Was that half of my life? So I'm going to have a heck of a lot of fun with the other half, right? And I'm going to make sure that I really don't care 
about someone else's opinions because I know by now that nobody's actually paying attention to me. They're just paying attention to themselves. And if they have spinach stuck in their <laughs> teeth, they really don't care about me. And for those thinking about acting, when I have been talking to my manager or I go to other places, they're like, oh, you're available all the time for acting. That's actually really great because do you know why? Everybody else in your age bracket has either given up, gone off to had babies, or went to a different career. We actually don't have a lot of people in your age bracket. We need people who are in their 30s. We need people who are in your 40s who are like ready to do this, who are new fresh faces. That was news to me. So you hear that folks? If you're you're if you're, <laughs> if you're in your mid 30s or 40s and you want to pursue acting, they need you. Well, that's good to know, Sarah. <laughs> Not for me. I don't want to pursue it anymore. Um, I gave up. No, I just, it wasn't my calling and I am definitely fine with that. Sarah, those are great um, words of advice. I really appreciate that. Um, I am going to put your Instagram handle in the, the notes, the show notes today. Do you have any other place where anyone can reach out to you or follow you? No, I mean, sometimes I go on TikTok and have fun, so you can head over there, but that's that's mostly when I need a brain break. So I'm doing funky lip syncs, but yeah, it's all the same handle. It's all the same. Handle. <laughs> well, I guess I need to see that too. <laughs> okay. I mean, a creator's Perfect. got to create. So, you know, creators be creating wherever they can go. That's right. Well, we will definitely find you there. And I appreciate your time, Sarah. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Absolutely. If you are encouraged by today's episode, like and subscribe to this podcast and share this episode with a friend. You can find me on Instagram at Erica Shoray. That's Erica with a C, Shoray, S as in Sam, H as in happy, O, H as in happy again, R-A-E. Keep striving for your goals, live fully, and we'll catch you next time on the More Than Your Age podcast.